personal views of how much people could be trusted has a big impact on their willingness to invest in risky assets and the amount they're willing to invest in risky assets. Let's begin today's episode with a thought experiment. Think of the best advice you've ever received. Chances are is that it came from someone you know well, likely love, and certainly trust. While self-help books and tutorials can guide us through an array of decisions at different times in our lives, the advice that often truly sticks comes with a personal connection. I'm your host, Carly Sheridan, and in today's episode of Women in Economics, we'll be exploring the link between patience, trust, our cultural backgrounds, and how they interoperate when it comes to our economic decision-making. Today's guest, economist Paola Sapienza, specializes in banking and financial institutions, behavioral economics and behavioral finance, the regulation of financial markets, along with private equity and venture capital. But more importantly, Sapienza has imbued culture into much of her work, and she went so far as to introduce a new approach to the standard economic modeling. One of her most cited papers to date introduced cultural-based explanations to better understand economic outcomes. To get us started, why were cultural-based explanations neglected for so long as far as economics was concerned? Classical economists thought about culture quite a bit. What happened, though, with time is that economics acquired more sophisticated mathematical tools and more data and decided they were no longer interested in a cultural explanation. Culture became really simply an outcome driven by the local economic condition. So in my research, I try to change the perspective and look at whether culture per se could be an explanation, whether culture drives economic outcomes that are typically studied with only the standard economic technique. For example, take savings. We know that long-term orientation, the ability to forego current rewards for future changes dramatically across culture. And so the question is, uh, can we explain saving behavior by looking at these? What we found is that the cultural explanation uh, is responsible for explaining uh, differences in behavior in savings across nations, uh, at least as much as the classical economic theory, which is the life cycle theory of uh, income and savings. In her work, Sapienza talks about the deep aspects of culture, things like ethnicity, race, family history, the aspects that are inherited, the slow-moving components of culture. Can you tell us your definition of culture? It's a really difficult concept to define, and as such, uh, many of us have shied away from trying to explain. So I think a culture as preferences, beliefs, that are shared by social, ethnic, uh, religious groups, and they are transmitted uh, pretty much unchanged from generation to generation. The culture that uh, is transmitted fairly unchanged from generation to generation gives us the possibility of isolating uh, the effect that comes from culture and the effect that comes from the economic condition. So are immigrants or refugees the perfect case study here? If the behavior is totally informed by the economic condition, we should see that immigrants living in the same area, coming from very different countries, 
and very different cultures. They should, uh, in principle, behave in the same way. If we observe that they behave very differently, this is an opening uh, for arguing that indeed culture plays a role. The study of immigrants is really fascinating. For example, we know that Canadians have higher preferences for redistribution uh, than other countries. But what is interesting is that uh, American from Canadian ancestry, two or three generations ago, they still display similar characteristics despite having lived uh, all their life in the U.S., despite being exposed to similar institutional characteristics, constrained income uh, opportunities, and so on. As a professor of finance, Sapienza has focused primarily on cultural aspects as they relate to financial decision-making. She singled out trust as one ability predominantly influenced by the cultural background of a person and found that trust would play a part, particularly in matters of financial markets, where people have to part with their money in exchange for promises. Some of her research brought her back to her home country of Italy, where she looked at the degree of economic development across different parts of the country and how it was tied to financial decisions and this concept of trust. I was very much interested in trust because trust is essential in every financial transaction. Now, the question is, is trust simply a belief shared by all people participating in a certain community and depends on the past behavior of uh, the financial advisors and all those professionals who work in the financial industry? Or is it a subjective uh, belief that somewhat is related to our personal histories, uh, our upbringing. So, for example, as an Italian uh, coming from a very traditional South, my parents would encourage me not to trust anyone uh, because that would be the optimal behavior in certain areas. If you go to north of Italy, which is a different culture, you would find slightly different uh, teaching And so the question is, to what extent we carry that particular belief and how much that informs the way people invest? This is a very important question because financial development per se depends on the ability and the willingness that people have to circulate their money, savings going to the most productive activity. If you keep the money under the mattress, uh, which you would do if you don't trust anyone, this is really an impediment uh, to economic development. So we look at basic financial contract, the use of checks. If you think about for checks, uh, you need uh, two sides to trust. The person writing the check wants to make sure that the other person would not forge a different amount. The person receiving the check They want to make sure that there is money in the banking account so the check is actually has validity. Then we look at the willingness people have to invest in stocks and risky assets, the deposit account and the use of cash, which would be really used mostly by the people that don't trust anyone. So you want to be paid in cash because you want an immediate validation that indeed the transaction is going to be valid. So we look at all these characteristics and we distinguish the areas with high social capital and areas with low social capital. And we find dramatic differences in use of check, deposit, 
loans and the willingness that people have to make transactions with cash. Sapienza's research showed that areas with lower social capital, like southern Italy, were also less financially sophisticated. For the less financially educated, the mechanisms of the financial market are seen as more complex and less trustworthy. Within this research, Sapienza suggests that better governance and regulation could act as a proxy for trust to increase participation in financial markets in areas where the social capital is low. In your paper, Trusting the Stock Market, you analyze the impact that a general lack of trust could have on overall stock market participation. Can you tell us a bit more about that work? What we find is that the personal views of how much people could be trusted has a big impact on their willingness to invest in risky assets and the amount they're willing to invest in risky assets. Now, there is previous research by Eliana LaFerrara and Alberto Alesina who actually looked at uh, what drives uh, this individual trust level, this expectation that others would do certain things. And there is psychological evidence showing that, for example, certain demographics tend to trust less, uh, that uh, women tend to trust less, and uh, that age makes a difference in terms of trusting. And what we find is indeed that there are this correlation. Trust still is uh, a fundamental driver in the decision to invest in the stock market. And it can explain one of the big puzzle in finance that even among the very wealthy people that should invest in the stock market because that's convenient and profitable, there are a lot of people that stay altogether away from the stock market. Trust is an explanation that could account for the puzzle of why that is taking place. Of course, every person has their own risk attitude. Uh, And so in in this work, we actually control for that. But investing in a well-diversified portfolio is generally a very good thing for the majority of the people. And adding this simple ingredient to the standard economic model of investing uh, in uh, risky assets would actually take us a long way in uh, going into the direction of that explanation. In another paper, Cultural Biases in Economic Exchange, Sapienza analyzed data on bilateral trust between European countries, finding that there were specific cultural traits that drive bilateral trust. What were your main findings here? The first observation is that people tend to trust their own citizens much more. So there is a very strong home bias, and that could be related to knowledge. The more I know, the, the better I trust. The second factor was that there were certainly certain countries that received higher trust than others, and certain countries that received less trust. And maybe those are driven, for example, by the fact that there is a better enforcement of the law, and so there is a higher deterrent to engage in fraudulent behavior. If you look at France and England, they tend to trust each other much less than the relative trust that they receive from other citizens of other countries. So we asked the question, what is peculiar to this bilateral trust in relative terms? And sharing the same religion is a very big determinant 
having been a war, think about France and England, uh, for a long time, the way we thought about this was more how children, uh, what kind of history they're taught. We know that generally speaking, uh, when you emphasize certain periods of time, there is an evil country that was you know, at odds with that specific country. So, for example, in Italy was Austria because Italy was trying to unify and Austria was claiming some of the territories and so on. Italians tend to trust the Austrian much less than uh, every other country trusts the Austrian. And so this history has uh, a lot of bearing. And then the third factor that really made the difference is uh, somatic uh, similarities. In other words, uh, how much do people from the two countries look alike. We wanted to know uh, whether indeed uh, this measure of bilateral trust could explain uh, a lot of bilateral transaction among countries, trade, portfolio investment, uh, and foreign direct investment. And so we find indeed that uh, once we account for the standard economic uh, explanation, uh, bilateral trust uh, carry a substantial additional effect in correlating with uh, this economic activity being a trade, uh, foreign direct investment, uh, and the composition of portfolios of for institutional investors. So that's a really interesting result. While cultural components may have been excluded from economic theory for far too long, economists like Sapienza are not only leading the way, they are transforming old models and in doing so, rewriting the rules of economics as a field and how we apply it to our everyday lives, particularly as it relates to our financial behavior. And that, I think, is something worth investing in. That's a wrap on season one of Women in Economics, but we'll be back with season two before you know it. So be sure to stay subscribed and stay tuned for more insights and answers from some of the most brilliant women in the field. Women in Economics is brought to you by UBS and the Center for Economic Policy Research, CEPR. It's hosted by me, Carly Sheridan, produced and sound engineered by Zoo Agency Berlin, with music provided by Artlist. Help us usher in this new era of economics by sharing the episode with a friend, relative, or colleague, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The featured persons and the Center for Economic Policy Research are not affiliated with UBS. This presentation is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed may not be those of UBS. UBS does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information presented.